Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, welcome in. You're coming on in to find a, a chair. It's great to be with you. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church at Rocky Peak, and this is your very first time. I want to welcome you. I hope you enjoy your time with us as we pursue God together. Uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now, starting a brand new series, and inside of your, your program uh, is a, uh, a note sheet that we use every week, a message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out, and then if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing, and thank you that you are the God of the redeemed, and that you have spoken into our lives, and you've given us a new hope and a new future through the the death, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We're here to worship you, to pursue you, to have you show us what it means to experience the rule of God, the kingdom of God in our lives. And so as we we enter into uh, this time of, of teaching, as we enter into this whole new series, I pray that you'd come, you'd come with power. I pray you'd strengthen me, strengthen my voice, give us ears to hear as a church what the Spirit would say to us as we enter into this fall. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning he got up and it started much like any other day the last few months. He's had an increasingly hard time sleeping and even the alcohol that he drinks before he goes to bed at night is not lasting through the night. He's getting up this morning and he's, he's getting dressed, he's making his breakfast, he's off into another day. If you were to see him from the outside of his life, just watching him kind of leave his house uh, in a beautiful community, a gated community, uh, you, you would see him as a very successful guy. He's got all the accoutrements of success, you know, his, his clothes, his look, it's just this whole thing, he, he's got it going. And it's true, he's extremely successful in his chosen field. He's risen to the top of his career. He oversees a lot of people. He's made a lot of money. But if you could look inside of his heart, there, there's a growing emptiness, or there, there's a loneliness, there's a, a sense of, of hunger that he can't even put his finger on. What would explain what, where it's coming from? It's what keeps him up at nights. You see, he's made it to the top, but the top is not exactly what he thought it would be. And so as he looks back sometimes in the middle of the night, as he, he lays there unable to sleep, he'll think back over his life, some of the choices he's made, all the compromises along the way. He thinks of the people that he's walked on, the people that he's betrayed to make it to the top. And at the time, it, it made perfect sense. It seemed like this is just what you have to do. It's the price you pay for success. But, but now as he lays there off in the middle of the night looking back, he, he, he thinks of all the relationships that have been broken, the family that he's betrayed, the friends that he's let down, the community he's turned his back on, and, and most of all, the God that he's rejected. And in those quiet moments of gnawing pain that are just increasing in his life, he wishes like anything he could go back and do it all over again. There's a way you could just set the, the hands of time back and, and move back and, and and experience it so he wouldn't be going through this regret. And yet, as we all know, you can't turn back the hands of time. And so for him, he's going deeper and deeper into a, a, a gnawing emptiness, a, a depression in his life. And as he closes the door that day and heads out to the office, little does he know that this day is going to change the rest of his life. Well, today we're... We're, conti- we're starting a brand new series. It's called The Assignment, Unleashing the Movement. And it's really a series about kind of God's vision for the future of our church. Over this past year, uh, God has been working behind the scenes with our leadership team. And we believe he's given us kind of the next installment, uh, kind of the next step of, of what it looks like to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And so I'm excited to, to share just the beginnings of that with you today because it's something that I've been living with for over a year and it's like a, it's like a great secret. It's excited to be able to finally share. I, I think the best way to get out at, at this is, is to kind of talk about uh, two streams. It's the metaphor I've been using to describe this vision. Uh, one stream is more internal, more uh, spiritual, if you will. The other more external and more physical. But they've both been kind of uh, going underground, kind of a, like an underground stream this, this past year. And now they're, they're now beginning to surface up. And, and, and now starting today, this weekend, they're becoming public as those two streams are merging together into one kind of roaring river. A river that I believe is going to impact not only our fall, but, but our future. It's going to be a landmark time for our church. It's going to change us forever. And so let me, let me just take you on that journey with me and, and just talk about these two different streams that are kind of merging together in this assignment that God is giving us. 
The, the first stream started uh, inside of me uh, over a year ago. Uh, I was sitting on my porch one morning. Uh, it was uh, Friday or Saturday, as I recall, kind of having some extended time with God. And I got my Bible there, my, my journal out, just spending some time in prayer. And all of a sudden, uh, I, the Holy Spirit begins to, to birth a new prayer in my heart. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, where you sense the Holy Spirit just putting something on your heart to pray. It's not really coming out of your own mind. It's not like you read a book. It's not like you listen to a podcast or a message. It's just like the Holy Spirit just kind of spontaneously is birthing something in you to pray. I always feel like this is the best kind of prayer. It's a prayer the Holy Spirit kind of puts in your heart to pray, and you begin praying it back to, to God. And so uh, it was one of those moments, and the prayer actually it took me by surprise for reasons that will make more sense later on uh, as we, we go through this series. But the prayer was very simple, but it was very profound. And it was a prayer that God would give me a new passion for the lost. That he would give me a new passion to reach people who are far from him. And so over the next month, every time I would spend time alone with God, uh, this prayer would come back unbidden, just had a life of its own, just kept resurfacing. And by the end of that month, I felt like I needed to share it with Lynn. And so I, I pulled her aside one day and just shared, hey, it's the weirdest thing happened. We're real excited about it, but I don't know what's going on. But it, here's this prayer that just, I don't know where it's leading. Two or three months later, I was with the elders up in, in, uh, uh, at Lake Gregory near uh, Big Bear. We'd had a night of, of prayer and kind of worship. Uh, and at the end of that, I just felt like God wanted me to share it with them. And so I shared, hey, guys, I don't know what's going on in the last three or four months. Every time I go before God, every time I spend a significant time, there's this prayer emerging. It's this prayer in my heart for, for the lost, that God will give me a greater passion for the lost. I don't know what that means or where it's leading us as a church, but I just want to share it with you early on in, in this journey. Well, since that time, that prayer has continued to grow, and it's moved out just from, not just from me, but, but now I'm beginning to pray it ever since then for our church. God, would you give us a new passion for lost people? And so honestly, every day or every time I've spent time with God, any significant length of time from, from over a year ago to this day, this prayer emerges. And, and so you've, you've probably seen signs of it little ways. That, like at Christmas time, we, we did a series called The Invasion. And, and it was a series very much for believers, but very much for non-believers. You may remember we started uh, creating these invite cards that we began to say, hey, wait, wait, start inviting your friends and, uh, for certain uh, series along the way. I know we created that series, it's funny, the very first invite card that I was getting my hair cut by the lady who cuts my hair for like six or seven years. She cuts my hair, she cuts the hair of uh, my, my, both my daughters, my wife, my granddaughter, and so she, she knows we're a believer, she has a deep love for our family, but she, she's not a believer herself, and we've shared with her uh, over time little bits here and there and, and been praying for her, and I, I remember sharing with her that very first, uh, that, that, that started that, that series where I created an invite card. I said, hey, we're, it's Christmas, I'm doing a special series for Christmas, and it's just for you. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, the rest of the church has got to listen to this whole thing. I, I don't know, but, but this is really just for you. Like, this is designed for someone who has no understanding of what the Bible kind of really says, no, no, no background at all, but it's a great place for you to log on and, and, and to come, you know, I think I'm really might do that. And so throughout the year, this has just been growing. You've seen it in the baptisms. You've seen it in the conversions. You've seen it in the invitations. Behind the scenes, it's like there's this growing passion. And if I could put it into words, it would be like this. It would be like, Mike, for the first seven years you were here, I, I called you here and I gave you a vision and it was to unleash this movement of passionate Christ followers. And for the last seven years, you've shared that with this church of what does it look like to really pursue Jesus as our number one priority. We don't want to play church. We don't want to go through the motions. We want to be totally consumed by him. He wants to be our, our first love, our top priority, our deepest passion. And it's like you're saying, and, and they're, they're, the church is beginning to catch on to that. And lives are being changed and lives are being transformed. And so now, in this next season, we're moving into a new era, and this new era is we're going to begin to start focusing outside and caring more about those on the outside who don't know Christ than those on the inside who do. And so for the last year, this has been growing, this, this passion, and so that's the first part of this assignment that we would, would kind of understand in a new way what does it look like to follow Jesus and to carry out this assignment to, to join him in his mission to seek and save the lost in a more intentional way. The second side of this vision is totally different though. If the, if the first side was more spiritual, it's, it's more internal, the second side is more external and more physical. And it has to do with our campus. Here at Rocky Peak, God has given us an amazing campus, hasn't he? 
It's like we, we have a retreat center right in the middle of L.A. Uh, we have some consultants we met with for several years, and one of the things that they've told me several times is, Mike, we consult with churches, hundreds of churches across the United States, and there is no church that has property like this church. This is an amazing site that God has given you. And so over the years, as elders, we've had a tremendous sense of stewardship, that, that as God has given us this, we need to take care of this. We need to use it for him. But the reality is, is that this property next year, this, this campus is 25 years old, as next campus. This particular building that we're in next year is 15 years old. And the reality is, over time, our house has gotten run down. It's just kind of gotten run down. So there's many parts of our campus you can, you can go to, and it's the original paint of 25 years ago. It's the original chairs. It's the original bathrooms. You can tell by the smell in the bathrooms. <laughs> there is 25 years of serious business that's gone on there. <laughs> and no matter what we do, it says, no, we are here to stay. We even have the blood of Jesus on the carpet still over here from, from those days, right? So, so uh, and, and so over time, we, we have known that God's uh, going to call us to refresh our campus, to both enlarge and refresh. So let's talk about the enlarge part. You know, there's a common rule of thumb in, in church work, in churches, church leadership, consultants, they all know this rule, that when a church reaches 80% capacity, like when a room like this reaches 80% capacity, there's a common rule of thumb that you have to do something to increase capacity because if you don't, you'll stop reaching people for Christ because what happens is when you walk into a room like this is today, that if you're a brand new person, especially if you're kind of far from God, you're just checking out Jesus, that if you're coming into a room like this, it feels incredibly full. Like oftentimes my wife will come home and say, church was packed today. And I'll say, well, not necessarily. I could see a seat over there. I could see a seat over there, right? But, but when you're walking in, just visually, it feels packed. And so there's a well-known kind of rule of thumb that in, in church, that, that when, when you hit 80%, you have to create more seats. You have to create more capacity because if you don't, people that are new, new guests that are coming in, it will feel too full, like there is no place for them. It's already hard enough to come to church for the first time. It's a very scary thing, but to come and have no place, it just feels like there's no room at the end. And so as a board, we've known this. And so like a, a year or so ago, we took out our whole front stage, which allowed us to create three more rows, about 150 seats in here. But the reality is we've been over that 80% forever at our, this service, 11 o'clock service. We are now over at our nine o'clock service. And so we've known for a long time that a time is coming, we're going to need to enlarge our capacity. If we're serious about unleashing a movement, then we're gonna have to enlarge our capacity in some way, and then we're gonna need to refresh our facility because when you invite people to your home, you fix it up, right? So you can invite someone for dinner, you, you fix it up. And so up to this time, as I've prayed about over the years, I've just felt God say over and over again, this is not the time, that this is not the time, that right now you need to focus on the inside of the church, unleashing a movement, and, and the time will come, we'll work on the outside, and then the outside will match the inside, and we'll change from the inside out, but it's not the time. But over this last year, uh, through a series of uh, events and circumstances we'll share with you later on in this series, it's become very clear to us as a board, we believe with all our hearts that, that we are entering into a new season and that God is giving us an assignment and it's like the assignment has two sides. The first part of the assignment is to focus and to learn and grow in our passion for those who are far from God, to, to receive this assignment that Jesus has given to seek and save the lost. The second part of the assignment is specific here to Rocky Peak, and it's to enlarge and refresh our campus so that for the people that God is bringing now and that he will continue to bring as we can increase his focus, that we'll have a place uh, for them. And so in this fall, uh, in this series that we're going to be doing, we're going to be focusing on both parts of that assignment. The first three weeks, we're going to be focusing on this assignment of Jesus to join him in his movement, to seek and save the lost. What does it look like to be a church that cares more about those on the outside than those on the inside? What does it learn to grow in our passion for lost people? What does it learn to, how, how to build intentional, uh, authentic relationships with non-believers? We love them well, so when the time comes, when they ask questions, we can answer their questions, uh, share a little bit of our story, a little bit of Christ's story, and invite them to come and see. 
So in this series, we're not talking about confrontational evangelism. We're not talking about door-to-door witnessing. We're not talking about four spiritual laws. That's that's not what this is about. It's about loving people well, entering into authentic relationship with people far from God, and, and so that we have a chance in the context of relationship of sharing Christ's story and what it means uh, for them. So the first three weeks, we'll be focusing on that. And then in week four, the series will begin to turn. We'll begin to move into the second stream of the vision. And we'll begin to talk about what does it look like then to create a place and a space for these people that God is already bringing and he'll continue to, to bring. And so what we're gonna be doing in this series is I, I truly believe this, it is going to be a landmark series for our church. It's one of the most important seasons in the 35 year of history of our church. I believe that as a result of this, God is gonna get a hold of our lives in a whole new way, and he's gonna create capacity to unleash this movement that he's been calling us to do for several years, and just grow, uh, gradually uh, growing and extending. And so I believe in the coming years that God is gonna bring hundreds and thousands of people to know him because of what's gonna happen this fall here at Rocky Peak. And because of that, what I would just challenge you is that this fall that you would make these services a top priority, that you would be here every week because I promise you that every service is going to build in a way very different than a normal series. Every week is gonna build on the week that comes before. And so if you skip a week, what's gonna happen? It's gonna be like reading a book that you just skipped a chapter. It's like, wait, something happened here and, and I kind of missed it. Now, if you can't be with us, I would just encourage you, for, for whatever reason, if you just can't come a particular week, be sure to go online to our website, download the message. We now have them in both audio and video uh, versions. So you can download the message, uh, kind of follow along so that you, you take the journey with us. But for these first three weeks and starting today, we're gonna start focusing on this first stream, the vision, this is growing in our passion for the lost. And today we're gonna look at two passages that are sort of gonna frame up uh, this whole series, key passages we're gonna come back to again and again to understand this assignment uh, uh, that Jesus has given us and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the, the assignment, the commission. And so we want to start with a passage of scripture that for many of you will be familiar. For some of you as new believers, it will not be as familiar, but it's in Matthew 28. I'd like you to turn there. It's it's the last words of Jesus to his followers before he left. So let me set it up. Jesus has has gone to the cross uh, about a month and a half before this. Uh, Three days later, he rises from the dead. Uh, in the next over a month and a half, the next 40 days, he's kind of coming and going uh, with his leaders, kind of preparing them to take over his movement that he calls the kingdom of God. And so this is the last time they're going to have a conversation. That's the last time. And think of, think of someone in your life that you love very, very much. Uh, maybe it's a father, maybe it's a, a relative, maybe it's a friend, and they're, they're, you know it's the last time you're ever going to see them. For what, Maybe they're very sick. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're kind of going uh, to, to a part of the world, there's no communication, whatever the thing is. And, and, and obviously, if this is the last time you're going to see someone you deeply love, you're going to take, you're going to think about those words very carefully, aren't you? What you're going to say is going to be very important. And so these are the last words of Jesus to us as his church before he leaves. And so it's in, in Matthew 28 and verse uh, 18. And he starts off and it says, Jesus came to them, to his disciples, his followers, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now let's stop there. Uh, We we often kind of glaze over this part, uh, but 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 kind of speed by it. But but this is extremely important. Uh, What Jesus is said was saying is as a result of his death and resurrection, he is now ready to ascend to, in biblical terms, the right hand of the Father. So so it was prophesied in the Old Testament Messiah would come and one day he would rule the whole world. And so this is what's happened, that Jesus has come, he's gone through his death and resurrection, he's conquered death, and now he's, he's ready to ascend to take his role as the rightful ruler of the cosmos, okay? So, so he's about to become the CEO of the cosmos, is what's happening. And so, so no longer is Caesar Lord, right? No longer is any of the other demonic powers Lord, that Jesus is now Lord and King of the universe, and he reigns from that position today. And so what he is saying 
is that all authority in heaven and earth, what he's saying is, as king of the universe, here are my marching orders for you as my movement. And so he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so therefore, based on that authority, I want you to go and make what? Disciples. Now remember, we've talked about this word before. Uh, word disciple doesn't mean super Christian. Right? A disciple in the New Testament is the normal word for a Christ follower, a Christian. It's, it's the word for a student, uh, 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 like a, a rabbis would have their students, that's the name. And so he says, uh, go and make disciples. Words, I'm Lord of the universe. I want you to go out and with that message that there's a new king in town, that Jesus is Lord, and I want you to call people to come into my kingdom and come under my authority. He says, so go and make disciples of all nations. So no longer just Messiah of the Jewish nation, but he's called to be Messiah of the world. And so he's, he's expanding their, their, uh, their, their orders. Before they were only to go to Israel. Now they're to go to all nations. And we're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the first mark of becoming a Christ follower is you get baptized. It's the way you say, I am switching kingdoms. It's the way you're saying, I'm coming under the authority of Jesus. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, they crossed through the Red Sea. That becomes a picture in the New Testament. We, we pass through the waters of baptism. We leave our old life in Egypt behind, and now we live a new life with Christ. And so when someone comes to Christ, the first step you take is you get baptized. It's a, it's a sign and a signal that I've left my old life. I'm, I have a new commander-in-chief in my life. And so he says it's, it's an initiation rite into the movement. And so he says, go and make disciples and then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and then teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So our marching orders are not to go out and just, quote, get people saved so they can go to heaven. Our marching orders are to go out and recruit followers of the true king, baptize them into the movement, initiation, right, and then teach them how to follow Jesus and live this new life in the kingdom of God under the authority of our king. That, that's our marching orders. And then he goes on and he says, and surely, uh, and in, in, uh, in the Greek, it actually says, look, uh, like pay attention, like don't miss what I'm about to say. He says, and, and so pay attention, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so what he's saying is, as I send you out on this mission, uh, I know it's not going to be easy. I know that many are going to hate you. I know that you're going to be persecuted. I know that time you're going to feel like you don't have the strength, you don't have the courage, but I want you to understand I am going with you every step of the way on this mission, right? So, so as you go to carry out this assignment, I, I will be with you. And so what I want you to catch then is this is the assignment, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That the moment that we become a follower, we become part of his movement to extend the kingdom of God and that for every Christ follower, it's a core part of what it means to be a Christ follower. That's why here at Rocky Peak in our vision statement, it goes like this, that, that uh, the, our vision is to unleash a movement of what? Passionate, Passionate Christ followers, right? And then we define them uh, a passionate Christ follower is someone who's doing four things. We're pursuing God as our top priority in life. We're going to know him, love him, and please him. Top priority. Number two, we're going to love others as he has loved us. Number three, we're going to serve his movement with our time, our gifts, our, our resources, serve sacrificially. And then the fourth part is sharing Christ. And the reason that sharing Christ is there is because this is part of the core concept of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. One of my favorite uh, kind of statements or quotes about the Great Commission of Jesus that we just read, one of, the, one of my favorite quotes comes from a business writer. His name is Peter Drucker. For those of you who are in the uh, business leadership field, you'll recognize that name. He is like the dean of business writers. He is like the, probably the greatest business writer of, of the modern era. He, he happens to be a believer. He happens to be with Jesus now. He died about seven, eight, ten years ago. I can't remember exactly which. But he did an interview for a leadership journal once, and this is what he said there on your note sheet. He says, when you look at churches, the mission is clear. It comes straight out of the gospel. Now remember, he's a business writer, so he's, he's used to coming alongside of businesses and helping them figure out their mission. And what he's saying is for the church, our mission statement is clear. Basically, you are to bring the gospel to all mankind. 
It's very clear. It's very simple. It's maybe the simplest mission. I'm not saying it's the easiest, but it's the simplest, okay? And so he says, this is what it means to be part of the movement of Jesus. Our assignment is to go and to share the message of Christ, bring people under his lordship. That's our, our, our marching orders. Now, here's the thing. Like Drucker says, it may be the simplest, but it's not the easiest, is it? And what I've found in my life, you probably found this in your life, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? We, we get involved in our own families, our own kids, the soccer games, the classes we're taking, the, the career we're pursuing, uh, the friendships we have, the sports we love to watch, uh, whatever it is, uh, the motorcycles we drive, the, 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 the dune buggy, whatever, whatever it is, that it's so easy for us to get so caught up in these other things, we forget what our core calling is. And we forget that as followers of Jesus, we're out there 24 seven every day of the week. When you go out and order coffee at Starbucks that, with that barista, you're representing Christ. When you're picking up your groceries at Vons, you're representing Christ. When you're being a parent to your kids, you're representing Christ to them. When, when you're at the office with your, your fellow coworkers, you're representing Christ. That wherever you go, an outpost of the kingdom of God goes with us. And it's our primary calling is to be extending his, his kingdom, to, to be kind of uh, uh, on focus uh, for him. And so what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And what does it mean to be a healthy church? It means more and more that Christ is calling us to be less and less concerned about what's happening within the four walls. And it's more and more about, how, about those who are out there who don't know him. So for example, there in your note sheet, a great quote from William Temple. It's one of my favorite quotes about uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, he was a uh, uh, archbishop of the, the church of Canterbury, the Anglican church in the last century, uh, about in the 1940s. And I love this. He says, the church is the only society in the world that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet our members. Isn't that good? And yet, is that what the church in America is? No, no, the church in America is all about us. It's all about our comfort. It's all about, about our programming, our, our lives. Now, when you study the early church, the first two or 300 years, and we'll talk about this more next, next week, they, they had almost a military mindset. Man, they're, they're taking ground for, for the kingdom. Like wherever they go, they're, they're taking ground. There is a message. There is a new Lord in town. And, and we are under the service of that new Lord. And we are spreading the message of amnesty and new life. And, and forgiveness, and what life is it's tended to be. And we are on the move, and we're taking ground. But often today, the church has become just a place where we come to be comfortable, to be encouraged, to be strengthened. Nothing wrong with that, but we don't want to forget the reason we come to be strengthened and encouraged is so that we can go out and take more ground. Does, does that make sense? And so as we, go, as we go through this series, we're going to be asking this question, what does it look like uh, to join Jesus in this movement uh, of unleashing his movement of truly passionate Christ followers and, and taking more ground. And so, so that's the first passage that's going to shape and frame this series, this assignment that Jesus gave us very clearly to go into all the world and, and make disciples, okay? Now, there's a second passage, though. And this, this passage is not so much an assignment as it is a case study from the life of Jesus of what does it look like? Because I want to come back to this again and just keep saying, because one of my big fears is, let me tell you this, I, I grew up in a church where the model of sharing Christ was very um, confrontational, all right? I, I grew up from the time very early, I may, I may share more about this later in the series, from the time of third grade on, the model that I was exposed, you, you needed to be sharing Christ, it's a core part of following Jesus, and the model that was given to me was sort of a confrontational, cold call type of evangelism, right? Where you sit down on the plane next to a stranger you've never met, and by the time you get to Atlanta, he's on, the, on his knees saying, what must I do to be saved, right? Those kinds of stories. And so in the early part of my Christian life, from about third grade through uh, early college years and early marriage, I can't tell you how many people I alienated in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? And, and then, since that wasn't working, I decided to become a pastor. <laughs> so when, when, when I talk to you today about sharing Christ, I just want you to wipe that from your mind. If that's the image in your mind, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about building intentional, uh, uh, honest, authentic, genuine relationships with non-believers 
so that over the course of time, as we love them well as true friends, that when they ask questions about our life, about our God, about what we do, we're able to answer their questions, share a little bit of our story, share a little bit of God's story, and say, come and see. Just come and see. Just experience this with us, all right? And and so we're not talking about confrontational uh, evangelism. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the series. But, but this is the first part of the assignment, right, that, that we're going to go into all the world. But, but, but Jesus, in this story that we're going to look at today, gives us a case study of what does it look like to kind of seek and to save the lost. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called the assignment, a case study. And, and this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Now, I've got to say this. That if you're a long-term Christian, we're going to have to probably deconstruct this story and then reconstruct this story. Uh, One of the challenges we have with with kids ministry, and we're really trying to address this here at Rocky Peak, is that sometimes the way we tell stories for kids are kind of appropriate for kids, but sometimes we'll, we'll kind of cut the corners on them right, because this is a short little story, and then when we grow up, we've got to deconstruct that whole story and reconstruct it the way it really happened. This is one of those times uh, that, that uh, the story today is of, about a man I'm going to call Zach, right? Now, many of you who've grown up in church, you know him as Zacchaeus, but I don't want to use that name because the moment I say that name, Zacchaeus, for those of you raised in church, you have both images and a soundtrack <laughs> that is running in your mind, right? And it is about this wee little man. Like, I'm serious, like, who would ever call a man we, right? Hey, Mike, how you doing? You're a wee little man. And it's like, oh, really? Bam! Those are fighting words. A wee little man. It's like, I'm convinced that the woman that's got, whoever made up that song had to be a woman who is really angry at her small husband, right? And she comes to church that day. I'm going to tell you a story about this guy, this wee little man. He's climbing up a tree. Right, and so we have this image, flannel graph image, right, of this wee little man in a weird bath coat, like a bathrobe, climbing up a huge tree. It's not how it happened, right? It's not how it happened. So we need, we're going to need to go back. We're going to need to reconstruct this story so we can learn this account. So, so let's, let's go back. Let's, let's talk about Zach and what we know about Zach. First of all, Zach grew up in an amazing city. It was, a, it was a resort city. At least he's living there at the time of this story. It's a resort town. It's much like Palm Springs, okay? It's a winter resort city. So, so picture uh, uh, palm trees all around. In fact, uh, this place was one of the wealthiest cities in ancient Palestine. And in fact, the king in the area, his name was King Herod, he chose Jericho to put his winter palace there. And, and so we know from archaeology, you can still go there to see it today, that this winter palace, I mean, it's lined with palm trees, right? It's got uh, uh, outdoor pools for swimming. It's got aqueducts uh, bringing water in to, for, 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 the, uh, for, the, for, the, for this uh, palace. Uh, it's got, catch this, a hippodrome. A hippodrome is where you at ancient times do horse racing. The major, like, a, like a major amphitheater, uh, you know, or a big coliseum. He built a hippodrome there in Jericho. He's got a massive fortress to protect him uh, since he's there in the winter. So let's kind of reconstruct his setting. Uh, we know that Zach was a very wealthy man, and so he's living, I'm sure, in the nice part of town in a resort city. Okay? But we also know from this story, this, this would be my hunch reading through the lines as we watch Zach respond this day, that something's going on in this, this, this man's life. I, I think for some time, something's been gnawing at him. There's been an emptiness, as we'll, we'll see later on. So he grows up in this, this he's, he's in this great city. Second thing we, we know about him is he's a very successful guy. Uh, he's a, as a tax collector, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but not only is he a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector. So he is over a bunch of tax collectors. He's risen in his field, and he's very wealthy. Okay, so he's a very successful, you look at him on the outside, very successful guy. If he's, if he's today, he's driving his, his Beamer, his, his uh, Mercedes, he's got, the right, he's got the right threads on, he is just a, he's, he's got the right watch, he's got the right sunglasses. I mean, this is who Zach is, okay? Now, he's, he's not very well loved, right? He's just very successful. The reason he's not loved, the third thing we know about Zach 
is that he's a man who's far from God. That early, somewhere along the way, Zach has chosen to kind of give up everything he's held dear in order to make it to the top. So we we know from history that tax collectors were not popular. Uh, Obviously, you know, just like if you work for the IRS today, you probably don't tell people when you first meet them, right? So, so it's just like, just because you're, you know, collecting taxes, you're not popular. But, but this was more than that, because in, in that day and age, uh, if you were a tax collector, you're working for the enemy, right? You're, Rome is in power, Herod's in power, uh, and so you're collecting, it'd be like someone working for the Nazis in World War II in France, like you're French, you're, your country, you're working collecting taxes for the Nazis, okay? It's that kind of a thing. There's a sense of betrayal that's going on. You betrayed your country. On, on top of that, you're spiritually a reject. Uh, just by becoming a tax collector, you become spiritually unclean because you're dealing with Gentiles all the time. That means you're cutting yourself off from your synagogue, uh, you're cutting yourself off from, from your whole spiritual upbringing. And then on top of that, tax collectors are notorious reputation for being dishonest and extortion. I mean, they're, they're the guys that come into your house and say, hey, your taxes really are this, and you don't really know what they are because you need tax bills. They, they, they would be on the roads collecting customs uh, from the tariffs. That's kind of was their primary job. And, and they could collect as much as they could get away with. And so that's how they became wealthy, and that's why they were so hated because they were kind of ripping off their own people. And so in that culture, to be a tax collector, not only did the religious people hate you, everyone hated you. And so you were just, you know, persona non, non you just, people don't, don't want to hang out with you. Uh, you're, you're seen uh, as kind of living on the level of, uh, you're kind of seen as on the level of a common criminal, uh, like a thief or, or, or like a streetwalker on uh, uh, the red light zone. That's how tax collectors were seen. So what I want you to catch is he's a man who's far from God, but catch this, He's a man who's chosen to be far from God. He's a man who he t- chose to give up his family, his community, and his God in order to make money, to be successful. And so the God in his life uh, is money. That's his God, and he's paid the price. But, but now he's come to a point in his life, I, as I read this story, as, as we see what happens, I think he's, he's coming to the end of that. He's coming, he's just deep regret. There's a hunger in his life for something more. Okay, so that's how the story starts. Now we've got the setting. So here, here we go. So, so the, the word is, is that Jesus is coming to Jericho, this resort town. Now, it's towards the end of his, Jer- Jesus' ministry, so his reputation is huge. Uh, he's sort of like a rock star coming to town. Uh, stories are legendary of him commanding uh, nature, uh, of him healing the sick, of him raising the dead, of multiplying loaves, right? So this is the story. Now, remember, this is a day and age, there is no YouTube, Right? There is no CNN. Uh, Jesus is not tweeting, right? Like, cool day, just raise the guy from the dead, you know? <laughs> you can't go to Jesus' Facebook and become a friend, right? You can't, oh, here's pictures of Capernaum. Oh, here's pictures of this, right? You, you've never met the man. There's no newspapers. There's no magazines. There's no internet. There's no news, 24-hour news cycle. So, so it's a very different age. And so when something big happens, you have to be there. Like the only way to experience is to be there or to know someone who is there. And so, so for whatever reason, uh, as he leaves his house that day, uh, as Zach leaves his house, he, he hears the rumor that Jesus, this legendary rock star guy, who, by the way, is not only doing these amazing things, but he is ticking off the religious authorities because he's breaking all the rules. And, and the word on the street is, it's just so weird that he's even hanging out with like spiritual losers like Zach, like, like, like people that are tax collectors and whores. That, that's the word on the street. And, and so he is just like, he doesn't even know if that's true or not, but, but it's just something about this is just fascinating to him. And so he, he hears it like the rest of the town, he's gonna go out and he's gonna see this phenomenon. He, he wants to see the, this guy. This, this guy's this prophet, miracle worker, whatever he is. And so he heads out there, but as the story goes on, we learn something important. We learn that not only is he very successful and he's very bright, but we learn that he's vertically challenged. <laughs> and so as he's heading out there, that's where the we comes in, the we little man. So as he's heading out there, uh, 
uh, he, he, it dawns on him. I mean, just picture like a rock star. People are probably hanging on this, hanging on Everybody's just trying to get a, a glimpse. Then he just realized there's no way that I'm going to be able to see over the crowds. And so he's a bright guy. So he can see the road that Jesus is coming into town. So he knows that road. So he just runs ahead. And he knows there's a place in the road where it passes by some sycamore trees. Now, don't picture our sycamore trees. These are a different kind. These are like, they're more like a fig tree. Okay, they're lower to ground, kind of the branches got wider, that kind of a thing. And so, so he, he comes up with a scheme. So he runs ahead, he climbs up into the highest part of this tree. It's the best thing he can do. And so as this is coming, just kind of picture this. I mean, he is getting excited. This is big time news. So picture him, his muscles are tense. He's climbed up as high as he can. He's found a good place where he can see through the branches and he's waiting. And in, in the distance, he can, see, he can see the dust from the crowd. He can see the dust from the road kind of coming up. He can hear the sounds of the voices. And now Jesus is coming closer and closer. Remember, he's never seen this guy. He doesn't know what he looks like, so it's coming closer and closer, and he's on high alert because this is only going to last a few seconds. I mean, he's going to be underneath the tree, and then God, so his window to see him, maybe 10 seconds, 15, it's going to be very brief, and so he's on high alert, and so he's there, and all of a sudden, he comes around the corner, he sees Jesus for the first time, he's saying, like, that's not what I thought he'd look like, you know, so he sees Jesus, and and all of a sudden, uh, the unthinkable happens, right, something he never saw coming in a million years, is that Jesus stops underneath his tree. And he looks up through the leaves and he calls him by name. Now catch this. Jesus didn't have like a secret service, right? <laughs> like, like he didn't have like an advanced scouting uh, uh, crew, you know, like 10 4. Yeah, I'm here, uh, there's a tree. Uh, yeah. Uh, a guy named Zacchaeus, yeah, you've checked him out. He's a chief tax collector, a little weird up in the tree, but uh, he's a, everyone vouched for him. It's safe, so, so just no worries. Uh, we're good. We got him covered, all right, covered. Like, there's none of that going on. And so Jesus shows up, right, and he looks up at the tree. He calls him by name. He says, Zach, and Zach's freaking out because there's no way he can know his name. In that moment, what's going through Zach's mind is, wow, maybe the stories are true. This guy really is a prophet. The next thing Jesus is, the next thing that blows his mind is that Jesus is talking to him. I mean, he is a religious outcast, right? People don't talk to him, like spiritual people don't talk to him. They walk by another side of the street. Here's Jesus talking to him, kind of blows him away. The third thing that blows him away is Jesus is ordering him around. (laughs) This guy is used to having power. This guy is used to telling all his junior IRS agents what to do. This guy is used to coming into houses or tariffs and saying, hey, you don't pass by here. You either pay me or you're not passing by. He's got the power of Herod or the power of Rome behind it. He's used to giving orders, not taking orders. But in the Greek, it's very clear. You can see this even in your English. You look at it later, but it's in the Greek, it's very clear. Jesus tells him, come down now, immediately. And then he says this. He says, I must come to your house today. So we're going to catch. This is not an option either for Jesus or for Zach. This is an assignment that Jesus has received from his father. He says, I must come to your house. Now, now the crowd's going crazy at this point. Remember, they hate this guy. It's not just the religious leaders. Everyone hates him. I mean, in their mind, God hates him, right? God hates people like Zach Farfram. God hates people like that. That's why we hate him. They feel good about hating him because God hates him. He's sold out to the Romans. He's sold out his own people. He rips us off. He's a loser. He's going to hell, right? And we're happy about that. And so now, all of a sudden, is Jesus is going to hang out with the loser. And we're to- they're not happy. It's not just the religion. They're all, they're not happy about this. So they get to Zach's house, and we're not told the whole story here, but I think I can picture this because it's what always happens when Jesus is around. Is that he's going to share a meal with them. This is what he does with tax collectors. and so It's kind of his standard operating he shares a meal. In those days, the meals are very communal. People come into the house. They watch the, the whole thing going on. You see this all through the Gospels. And so that's going to take a while for the meal to be prepared by the servants. 
And so I'm sure Jesus is doing his thing. He's teaching. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching about what it looks like to follow him. He's teaching about who God is, who we are. He's talking about the poor. He's talking about loving the poor. He's talking about the things he normally talks about. And as he's talking, something is happening in Zach's heart. You see, Jesus doesn't even have to offer him salvation. He doesn't have to offer him forgiveness just by fact that he's a prophet having a meal with him is offering that. Because in that day, to share a meal was an offer of friendship. And so here is Jesus sharing a meal in this man's house. The offer has been made. And as he shares about the kingdom, I believe what's going on in Zach's heart is that Zach, who probably hasn't been sleeping well for a long time, Zach is just kind of saying, this is impossible. It's too good to be true that there's hope for a man like me. There's an offer on the table, and he's listening to Jesus right then and right there. No invitation. No one's playing just as I am. Uh, There's no spiritual laws. There's no, so would you, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but right there in the presence of Jesus, the kingdom of God has come, and this man realizes what's happening, and he realizes the offer, and he wants to come under the authority of King Jesus. He wants to come into his kingdom. He wants to repent. He wants to be a part of this new movement, and so right then, right there, he stands up, and he says, right here and right now, I promise I'm going to give away half of all that I own to the poor. Now, where did that thought come from? Well, I'm sure Jesus has been teaching about loving the poor, right? And he realizes his life. He realizes how he's made his money. And his God has always been his money. It's why he compromised his family. It's why he compromised his upbringing, why he walked away from God. It's been his money. And he realizes that coming to Jesus' kingdom, you have to sacrifice your God, what other gods you have. And so he says, right here, right now, I, I give half of everything I have to the poor. And he says, and then, and by the way, if I've ever ripped anyone off, subtitle, I have. <laughs> I'm going to pay him back four times. Why? Because in the Old Testament law, in Leviticus, it says when you rip people off, you pay them back four times. You see, he's a man that's surrendering to the leadership of Jesus. And right there, right at that moment, the power of God has come, and this man has stepped from death to life. And, and this is what Jesus says, and this is, what I, 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 this is the whole reason we're, we're, we're kidding this passage. Look, look at chapter 19, Luke 19. It says, uh, on your note sheet, it says, Jesus said to him, to Zach, now, he said, today, salvation has come to this, like right here, right now, this man has crossed over from death to life. He said, for the Son of Man, and that's, that's what Jesus called himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was what? Lost. lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. lost. Jesus is giving us his personal mission statement here. Jesus says, this is why I have come to planet Earth. I've come for people like Zach, people who are far from God. I've come to seek after them. I was going on the road. I had the assignment. I had his name. I knew my assignment. I was looking for Zach that day. I came to seek and to save the lost. And you just saw it happen. And the crowd is going crazy. They're hating this. They don't want lost people like Zach to be found. They want him to go to hell. They they don't care about this, right? But Jesus, no, you don't understand. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. This is what I'm about. Now, here's what I want you to catch, men and women. The moment that you gave your life to Jesus, you became a part of his mission to seek and to save the lost. You see? I mean, yeah. Hey, but can we be honest here? Your life, my life, no different Can we be honest that we can get so distracted by the other things in life, we forget that mission? And we can get so comfortable. We can think church is about us. We think church is about having, oh, it's a nice place for us to come. It's a nice place for my friends. I can get in a comfortable life group where I can be encouraged. I can have a safe place for my kids and they'll grow up with safe friends. Nothing wrong with that. But it's so much bigger than that. We follow King Jesus. He is here to take over the world. That's why he's here. 
And when we came under his leadership, we now take on his mission to join him in his mission to seek and to save the lost. And that's why this is part of our vision statement, to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers that will pursue God, that will love others, that will serve sacrificially, and will share Christ. You know, when I was in, uh, in, in my doctoral program, I had a, a great guy teaching one of the courses named Reggie McNeil. He wrote a, a book called The Work of Heart. And there in your note sheet, there's a great quote from him. It's actually in the next section. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. The very last quote. He says, God is on a redemptive mission and those who do not join him disqualify themselves as his true followers. Is that powerful or what? And so we're gonna be taking a journey together this fall and saying, what does it look like to follow Jesus and to join him in his mission to seek and to save uh, the lost? And so the big question is the question there on your, in this whole section there, the question is, the assignment is, how are you doing? Like in your life, in my life, how are we doing? As a church, how are we doing? And I want to start this section with a, a quote from a man named Craig Groeschel. Uh, Craig is a man who kind of leads a, a large church in Oklahoma. It's a multi-site church. It's a well-known church. It created the app that many of us have on our, our iPads or whatever. It's called uh, Version. It's this app where you can get the free version of the Bible. Uh, you may recognize the name. Earlier in the year, when we did our series on the simple life, uh, I quoted him a couple times, his book, Weird, because normal isn't working. But I, I read a book about a year ago, last October, that just had an impact on me. And, and here it is, it's a quote, it's a long quote, but follow along. He says, do you care about those who are without Christ? And, and you know, I know that the right answer were in churches, well, of course, you know, but let's go deeper. Do you care about those who are without Christ? He says, before you give me the program Sunday school answer most ministers give, let me help you answer this question honestly. When is the last time you've had a lost person in your home? The plumber who repaired your sink doesn't count. How, how many meaningful conversations did you have with non-Christians this week? And he's not talking about like spiritual conversations, just significant friendship conversations. Who are the non-believers you prayed for today? He said, if you can't answer those questions with several names, chances are, you're on the road to not caring. Or perhaps you've already arrived and you've settled in that dangerous destination. To be fair, <laughs> most Christians don't wake up one morning and declare, I've decided not to care about the lost anymore. The attitude creeps in over time. After being a Christian for a few years, we don't have a ton in common with non-Christians, so we don't typically develop quality relationships over time many Christ followers realize that they have almost no relationships with unbelievers. If that's you, ask God to increase your heart for those without Christ. He will. And before long, God will send you someone, maybe a bunch of someones, whom you'll care about. Your, your love for them will increase, and when that happens, you'll get it, and it's almost impossible to turn it off. Your prayer life increases. You're looking for opportunities to share conversations towards spiritual things. You're ever aware that you're representing Christ. When you have it, people tend to want it, and your passion for Christ is can contagious. And so here's what I want you to do, men and women. I, I realize as you walked in today, like you didn't know what you're getting yourself into. For, for some of you, this is like a, a, like a splash of cold water in the face, right? You're, you're not even sure how you feel about this. Like you're not even sure if you want to have a passion for the lost. Like you're not even sure if you want to pray for a passion for the lost. And like I used to tell my girls when you're growing up, you don't have to want to do it, just do it, right? <laughs> All the time they say, but dad, I don't want to do that. That's okay, you don't have to want to, it's good news. You just have to do it, right? <laughs> it still irritates them to this day. But, but here's what I'm asking you. Let, let me ask you where you are. Let me ask you, do you care about lost people? If you're a Christ follower, do you care about lost people? And, and if not, or if you say, yeah, my passion, Mike, like yours, it's grown, grown cold. If, if, if that's where you're at, my, my question is, then are you willing to join me in this journey of beginning to pray and asking God for a new passion for lost people? 
right? You, you, you may be saying, but I, I don't know how to do that. I'm not asking you to be an evangelist, right? I'm not, ask, I'm not asking you to change your own heart. Like, like I don't think we, we create passion in our heart. I think God has to create passion. I'm not asking you, hey, to go up and stir up passion. I'm not doing that. All I'm asking is, are, are you willing to go before God and just say, God, I, I've lost my passion, but if you can change this heart of mine, I give you permission to come in and change me from the inside out so that my heart beats with your heart. And so I care about lost people. And so, so this is the journey I'm inviting you to, to take with me. You know, one of the most encouraging things in my life this last year as I've been on this journey, this passage has become such a powerful passage. I tell you, every time I'm with him alone, every time I'm saying, God, will you give me a passion for the lost? Will you teach me about that? Will you change me? Will you give me a new paradigm of what it means to be a follower? Will you change me from the inside out? And one of the most powerful passages in my life has been in the Gospels where Jesus came to his first disciples. And remember what he said. He said, follow me and I will make you, remember what he said? Fishers of men. And here's what's been encouragement. I, I used to read it like this. Follow me and get your act together and become a fisher of men. That's what I used to read it. I'm reading it a new way these days. And it goes like this. Jesus, I will follow you if you will make me. Like, I, I can't make myself. Uh, this is not my thing. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I've got gifts of teaching. I've got gifts of leadership. I've got gifts of wisdom. I don't have gifts of, it's not my thing. I'm probably, a lot of you can relate to that, right? So, so I'm saying, but Jesus, but, but it, this starts with my heart. It starts with my heart having a passion for people who are far from you. It starts with us as a heart for our church. It's not about us. It's about those on the outside. It's, it starts with a whole new vision. It's not about us. It's the, about the two million people that are out there in the valley. It's about the 100,000 people over in Simi. It's about however many are up in Santa Clarita. I don't know the statistics. But it's, it's about... It's about those people. Do you realize that the vast majority of people out there have never known a Christian who is really a winsome Christian? Do you realize that most of those millions of people, they don't know a church like Rocky Peak exists? I'm telling you because I meet them every month in my home. And they'll talk about how life-changing it's been. They've been here one week. They've been here three weeks. They've been here four weeks. It's the first time they've been to church in 20 years or they've ever been to church. And they said, well, he didn't know a place like this existed. From the moment we came in, the tears started coming down our, our face. That we understood the teaching the first time in our life. Our, something's happening. They don't even know. Are you with me? They don't even know. They don't know. The only God they know about is a hypocritical Christian God who hates people like them. That's all they know. They don't know that there's someone who will walk into their lives, look up in the tree of their life and say, come down. I want to go to your house. I want to have a relationship. I want to share the story. Men and women, they don't know. And there's no one to tell them but us. It's our job. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. It's, it's on us. If we don't tell them, who will? God has blessed us with an amazing campus. He has blessed us with a place with a cross on a hill that over 100,000 people drive by every day. That people in this valley, they've heard of Rocky Peak. He has, he's positioned us well. And now is our time. Now is our time to go out and to seek and to save the lost and join him in his mission. And I'm asking you, are you with me? Will you come with me? Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray for God's mercy on us. God, we just want to pray today, and we want to begin right now by just starting with a prayer of confession. God, it's so easy for it to be all about us and to forget that our job is to take over the world. And so, God, we just confess we are weak. We, we don't have all the answers. Many times we feel insecure. We don't, we don't have everything that we think we need, but you have promised that you will go with us you have promised that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and he would give us power to be your witnesses. 
in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is your promise. You've said in your word that if we will seek you, we will find. You've said that if we ask for your Holy Spirit, he will be given. God, there is no more noble cause that we could ask for, that you would set our hearts on fire for what sets your heart on fire. There is nothing higher that we could ask for, that your name would be glorified, that your fame would be known, that people would come under the lordship of Jesus, the true king. There's nothing we could ask for that is higher than the kingdom of God would expand in the San Fernando Valley, in Simi Valley, in Santa Clarita, and around the world. And so God, as your people, we come and we confess that we have often been distracted. We care more about our sports and our jobs and our homes and our cars and our kids and everything else, our soccer games, we care more about everything else than about the assignment you've given us. And we just confess it, God. We, we are a distracted people. And God, we, we confess that for many of us here that we don't really care. It's been, we don't have relationships with non-believers. And so God, we start with a confession. And then God, we ask you that you would come and meet us and you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves that you would fill us with a passion, and not a weird passion. Not we'd be weird people, but we'd just be like you. We'd be naturally supernatural. we just love people well, and let them know that there's a God who cares, there's a promise of a fresh day, that they can start over. And there's many who won't wanna hear, there's many who won't wanna come into that kingdom and submit to your lordship, but there's many who will. You know them by name. And so we pray that even now you begin to put in our hearts, in our life, there's people in our life right now, they're on our soccer teams, they're on our baseball teams, they're in our workplace, they're relatives, they're people in our neighborhood. There's already people in our life that you want to reach. You're already working on them. And you're inviting us to partner. And so God, we don't want doing weird. We just want to come alongside. We ask you to come alongside of us. We pray you touch our hearts. And you begin to break down the walls. Tear down those walls in our hearts that have separated us from non-believers. Tear down the walls in our, our life that have separated us from you and your passion. Tear down the walls from, from the people out there that have the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christ follower, that they've been hurt before. That so many sons and daughters who are walking in darkness would be able to come into the light. And so God, as we go into worship now, we, we pray you come and meet us. We pray you to release in us your passion. We pray you use the gifts and the offerings we're bringing to make this a city on a hill the light would go out, that hundreds and thousands of people in the coming months and years would come to Christ because of what you're doing in our church on this day in this series this fall. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. And that's our prayer, that all creation would come back to him, to a true Lord, and I believe he wants to use us to do it. I believe this fall is gonna be an incredible journey. Hope you can be with us every week as we take that journey. Next week, we're gonna talk about the kind of people that we need to become to draw others to Christ. You know, uh, I think it's true that the greatest uh, thing that draws people to Christ that are, are, are people that are becoming transformed to be like him. The, the biggest thing that keeps people from coming to Christ are people that are not like him. And so before we can take this journey of what does it look like to build those kind of relationships uh, with people, we need to talk about uh, the kind of transformation that takes place in our life. Uh, the early church was just so passionate about Christ and passionate about one another, they drew people in because of what God was already doing. We're gonna talk about that uh, next week, so I hope you can be with us for that. Um, a couple of things in uh, this week, as you, uh, well, in our life groups, we're starting to, to do this study that we're all doing together, studying the best kept secret. Uh, if you're uh, uh, on the back of your program, every week we'll put the reading assignment for that week. And this is especially for those of you who are not able to be in a life group for whatever reason, but you want to take the journey with us, which I'd really encourage you. If you haven't picked up the book, do that. So there's going to be a symbiotic relationship between the, the weekend messages and what we're learning in the book. And so each one's going to strengthen and power and power the others. be a synergistic effect. And so I really encourage you, even if you're not in a life group, pick up that book, do the reading. If you're in a life group, at the bottom of your homework every week, your study, uh, there's always going to tell you what the next week's reading assignment is. And that's because some of you are in a group, maybe a Sunday night or Monday night. There's not much time between the end of the, the weekend message and your group. And so the, the life group study becomes available on our website 
for the, pro- for the following week, every Thursday night, it's there. And then uh, you'll, you'll have the reading assignment there. So you can kind of do it ahead of time, and, and you'll be ready to go. Uh, let's see. What else do I need to uh, tell you? Uh, as you? As you go, of course, we have the, the food trucks out there. And so I uh, hope you can stay with that. You know what Jesus said, that man doesn't live by bread alone, uh, but by the beef in between. That's going to feel like cheesesteak. Um, so... Um, I'm sure it's warming up out there. So we are opening up the student center with tables and chairs as well as outdoors. So if you want to see outdoors, you can do that. If you're going to go indoors in air conditioning, you can do that. But hope you can stay and enjoy the party. And then when you leave, just follow the parking directions, the, the, the people directing traffic. As you, hit, as you hit Santa Susana, chances are that we'll direct you up to the right so you have a nice drive up uh, uh, to Rocky Peak uh, Road and go either way just for uh, make it, uh, traffic as easy, uh, easier. Until then, until next week, uh, may the, the, the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah of the resurrection uh, be with you. The one who is now Lord reigning over all heavens and earth, may he be with you. And maybe he be sharing his passion with you, that you would join him in his mission uh, this week increasingly. As you go before him, maybe, maybe it's not even in your heart now, but just as you begin to pray, God, would you touch my heart? I want to be open to whatever you want to do, that he would touch your heart in such a way that you would join him in his mission to seek and save the lost. God bless. I'll see you guys out there. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>